Well, hello, hello, hello to all you wonderful nobodies out there. Undoubtedly just beautiful, freshly shaven, smelling fucking nice, clean, just ready for the week slash weekend, whichever one it is or is approaching when you happen to listen to this. It's me. It's me, Jason. I'm the guy. Um, I'm the guy that does the thing that your thing um, is playing now that you're about to listen to. That's me. Um, I have been sick. So if I sound super extra sexy tonight, that's fucking why. You guys want to hear a cool thing? Like a cool story that happened? Yeah? That's a pretty loud yeah. I'm pretty sure I heard it. Okay. So, once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there, there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember it was the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghosts upon the floor." Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had tried to borrow from my books secrece of sorrow. Sorrow for the lost Lenore. For the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, failed me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now... To still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door." Some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This is it, nothing more. Presently, my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly, your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the darkness gave no token. And the only word there spoken was the whispered word Lenore. This I whispered and an echo murmured back the word Lenore. Merely this and nothing more. Then into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon I heard again a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see, then what threat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not an instant stopped or stayed he, but with mine of lord or lady perched above my chamber door perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door. 
perched and sat and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling. By the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly, grim, and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quote the raven. Nevermore. Much I marveled at this ungangly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little revelancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no sublunary being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculpted bust above his chamber door, with such a name as Nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered. Other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Quote the raven, Nevermore. Wandering at the stillness broken by replies so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store. Caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster. So, when hope he would adjure, stern despair returned instead of the sweet hope he dared adjure. That sad answer. Nevermore. But the raven still beguiling all my sad soul into smiling. Straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking I betook myself to linking, fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungangly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining, on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er. But whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloated o'er? She shall press nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by angels whose faint footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch! I cried. Thy God hath lent thee by these angels he hath sent thee respite. Respite and nepathy from thy memories of Lenore. Let me quaff this kind nepathy and forget this lost Lenore. Quote the raven. Nevermore. Prophet, said I. Thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate, yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, Tell me truly, I implore. Is there... Is there balm in Gilead? Tell me. Tell me, I implore. Quote the raven. Mm, nevermore. Prophet? Said I. Thing of evil. Prophet still, if bird or devil. By that heaven that bends above us. By that God we both adore. 
tell this soul with sorrow laden if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore quote the raven nevermore be that word our sign of parting bird or fiend I shrieked I'm starting Get thee back into the tempest and the night's Plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quote the raven. Mm, nope, nope, nevermore, nope. Nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting, on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul, from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor, shall be lifted, nevermore. It's called making literature fun, people. Fucking let's do this. Rump shaker, let's do this. Check, baby, check, baby. One, two, three. I'm pretty sure All right, I said woo, ladies and gentlemen, are we ready? <laughs> oh, wow, Rob kept going with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, you Sometimes. know, um, this is going to be um, more of a... Th- this isn't a, uh, a true... Uh, murder or it's not a uh, conspiracy per se and it's not about aliens at all this is going to be one of our our highfalutin episodes where people are like oh they think they're so fucking hot shit because they fucking can read and put shit. your pinkies out now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you got you i got all four of my pinkies out ready to go man ready to go <laughs> so, digging it Let's just start out by saying, welcome, all and one, to another wonderful, riveting episode of See No, Hear No, Speak No. Mm-hmm. The UFOs, conspiracies, and tasty Midas. And me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right, so we ready for this sausage fest to begin? Let's do it. It's sausage fest time. Everybody's got their little little cups of uh, of maple syrup ready, just in case you're one of those people. I am. I like to dip my little sausage link right into the maple syrup, and then I like to eat it that oh, way. Oh, yeah. 
Usually just breakfast so sausage. Nasty. Like, don't get me like, uh, you know, like a, a, a weird dinner sausage. I'm not going to dip that in. I'm I, Well, you know what? That's a lie. I would dip that in, in syrup, too. Um, but that's why I'm a big fan. You're going to so <laughs> your bratwurst. You're going to fucking honey on your chorizo. No way, man. So I nasty. only eat brat better. So, we, tonight, are going to be talking about uh, mostly the works uh, the more, uh, I mean, what would you say? The more popular, the more well-known works of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh-huh. Um, because in doing research for a now uh, lost episode, and uh, maybe we'll tell you guys why one day, but I don't feel like going into it tonight. Um, we. It was all Jason's it fault. It was all Jason's fault. It is always all Jason's fault. And I will take that fault, and I will fucking run it into the goddamn ground. Just like I'm about to run my wonderful tiny little female dog, Darcy, uh, out of town because she is being inconsiderate. She sees that I'm recording. She, Are you saying you run, bitches? I mean, uh, usually. Um, I mean, usually it's bitches and hoes, but um, all my gardening implements, gardening implements are locked away now. And so, uh, tonight. We are not going to go into super depth of Edgar Allan Poe and his life. We are, however, going to talk about... uh, How many did I say it was? Was it five, six? Um, One, two, three, four, five. Uh, We're going to go into a a good bit of um, detail of five of what I think are his most famous short stories. Um... Because even some of these, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a fan. I, I mean, do you guys are you um, for sure uh, fans of Poe? Are you? I mean, I know you. Everyone's familiar with him, but like, do you, are you fans? I uh, yes, yeah, yeah. I would say so. Okay, like I'm, I mean, I'm not I, saying like poetry you, has always been difficult for me. Like I, I generally. Like, if it's the weird symbolic poetry and shit like that, like, I don't fucking get it. I need somebody to read it to me, and then maybe I'll get it. Right. But, no. Poe's pretty direct a lot of times with, with what he's saying, and it, it, even when he does use some kind of that, you know, that esoteric symbolism, it's um, it's pretty easy to get. Like, I get it. Yeah, and, and, and the cool. thing about Poe that was so um, r- really cool is that he he didn't just do poetry um i mean like i said tonight we're going to be touching on his short stories but i'm going to be uh uh segmenting these and uh bookending them in some of uh my favorite poetry of his um to where it's not uh they're not super long uh they're they're moving they're frightening some of them are beautiful um he was such a he was such a diverse uh, intellect. He knew fuck for his schooling, which I mean we're only barely, barely, barely even gonna look at here. He went all over the place in his formative years in uh, what was it Scotland and England and Ireland and uh, back in America, where he he had to have either been learning a whole lot or nothing at all. 
And if it, if the answer to that was nothing at all, then he would have had to uh, had these ideas all onto his own, and ha- would have somehow had to cultivate uh, the mind of uh, his mind. That that's just fucking crazy. Well. You're also looking at school nowadays where 50, 60, 70% of it is taught or people just teaching tests. So he probably actually got taught reading, writing, not, hey, this is answer C on question three. So make sure you know this because my bonus is tied to this. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Hey, hey guys, hold on for one second. My, uh, my wonderful, uh, son of a bitch Sabbath, um, just unplugged something on my computer and I'm trying to make sure that it wasn't my microphone. <laughs> Goofy dogs. Okay. Alright, I'm back. Being buttheads. And it was my mouse, was... not my microphone, but son of a gun, they are being difficult this evening. Um, so, I will now start out with, um, just, just some quick, uh, info on Poe, just, just so people know, uh, a little bit more about the man himself, um, that he was an American writer, of course, he was born on, uh, January 19th, 1809, he died October 7th, 1849, uh, so he was 40 years old when he died, um, he was a writer, editor, uh, literary critic, um, but he's best known for his poetry and his short stories, uh, particularly his tales of mystery and the macabre. Um, he was widely regarded as a central figure of romanticism in the United States and American literature as a whole, and he was one of the country's earliest practitioners of the short story in general. Um, he is generally considered the... In- I swore I thought you were going to say voodoo. Uh... N- That'd be fucking cool as shit. Um, but no, no. Um, I mean, no. I was trying to think of a way that that <laughs> could be true. I just, <laughs> I don't. It just pops in my head every time I hear practitioner, I think voodoo. I, I, yeah. I think that nurse practitioner. That's. Well, you're lame. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a nurse practitioner of voodoo, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose that that gets you be the ganja man and the drugs. Oh man, it works. And the voodoo Shit, doll, the ganja and the drugs, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the prescription drugs are the good shit nowadays. Indeed. Yeah, that, those are two different things. The ganja cannot be considered the same as a drug anymore. Uh, it totally is. But who who has a dog being a dick now? That's not me. That would be Holy my goodness. little butthead. Yeah, your dogs are way loud. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, in the backyard. He's... Little. All right. Oh, God, they drive me nuts. Well, so he's pretty shrill. Um, uh, he is uh, generally considered the inventor of detective fiction, and is further credited with contributing to the emergency genre of science fiction. He was the first well-known American writer to try to earn a living through writing alone, resulting in a financially difficult life and career. Um, so he, you know, he, uh, that's, that's kind of it. 
for him. He he was uh, born in, in 1809 uh, from two actor parents. His mother died. Um, well, his father left a year after he was born, and his mother died the year following that. So he was then an orphan, of course, in 1811. He was taken in by uh, the Allens of Richmond, Virginia, uh, John and Francis, uh, but they never adopted him because he was a big, water-headed baby fool. Um, <laughs> and they were douchebags. They were kind of douchebags. Well, uh, I think Francis was okay. I think John was the, the, the dickhead of the, the family there. But, um, I mean, I, Edgar, he, you know, he just kept taking money, 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 money from Daddy John and then gambling, 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 gambling it all away. So, and don't forget the booze and the loose women. And the booze and the well, there wasn't a whole lot of loose women. Um, one probably really tight one. Oh my god, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, hey baby, let me read you nasty. some poetry. Come on back to my place. Mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> so he uh, he had fights with uh, with John Allen all the time. Uh, over funds for his, his education. So he, uh, he, while he was at the University of Virginia, and he left uh, after about a year, and he joined the Army under an assumed name. Uh, this was in 1827. He did the assumed name thing because he was, uh, he was only 18, and you, he said that he was 22 so he could join the Army. Uh, it was in the Army that I he... I always thought... Hmm? No, sorry. I was going to say, I always thought that assumed name thing was weird. It was just a weird way to say a false name. Or, yeah, know, it kind of is. It, like, it was assumed. It? People just assume that this is what you're called? Yeah, you know what? I don't like it. I don't like I assumed don't like names anymore. It's not like they had IDs back in the day either. I mean... Uh, birth certificates or social security cards. Yeah, or, true. Um, well, I mean, they did, but... They, I mean, well, I don't know about the whole social security card thing. I don't, I don't, that probably came out, you know, much, much later. But yeah, I, I mean, they had birth certificates for sure. I mean, they at least it's, had death certificates. Um, it still all came down to a damn good filing secretary. Indeed, indeed. Right. Which, <laughs> which Poe was not. He was everything else, but he was not that. Um, it, while he was in the, uh, the army, he came out with his first collection of poems. Uh, or he, uh, it was um, published, he published his first collection of poems uh, titled Tamerlane and the Other Poems. Uh, this was in 1827, and it was credited uh, only to a Bostonian. Um, so it wasn't very good. We're not going to really talk about it at all. He basically just uh, stole the, um, the writing style of, uh, of Frost, I believe, and, um, and just basically followed a, a formula to have a poem um it nobody liked it at all uh it sounds like a lot of musical artists nowadays yeah only i mean forever really i mean where is their originality yeah you're right anymore like maybe every like fuck dude once in once in a blue moon you will find a, an original idea in a, in a movie or maybe in a television show but the second that original idea hits the cultural lexicon it 
immediately becomes copy and pasted to fucking death, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just, just like all the good artists market. die, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Oh, sorry, Chris, go ahead. Well, that's that's what America does. That's that's America's. Um, it's like our catchphrase. It's like, oh hey, you made something cool, and now it's ours, and we make ten thousand versions of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't make well, shit. It's called oversaturating the market, which really exactly. kill, kills any uh, any chance of the original of these to be like truly beloved and to have staying power. Because, I mean. Well, even in Poe's time, they uh, it, they had the same problem. Uh, I mean, he he had a problem getting his whole uh, writing life, uh, living off you know just my money from writing, uh, off the ground because back then uh, publishers there were no international copyright laws, so publishers would rather just uh, you know uh, republish. Uh, British books of poems than pay some American author, you know? So them damn British people taking our jobs. Oh, they took our jobs. Don't do- make me do it. I'll do it. Do it. <laughs> they took our jobs. All right, thank you. Man. <laughs> do it, Chris. <laughs> um so <laughs> uh he uh that his mama, his Francis Allen, his mama Allen, uh, died in 1829, and John and Poe kind of uh, came to a temporary, um, you know, hey, we're gonna be okay uh, for a little while with each other, um, and then uh, Poe went in to be an officer cadet at West Point, um, which he um, he intentionally failed out of and left. He uh, just didn't do anything he was supposed to do. They uh, brought him up on charges of this. He pled uh, not guilty, knowing full well that when he was found guilty, which he was, that he would be completely kicked out instead of just uh, whatever court-martialed or whatever. Um, because he... I got that... Hmm? I'm getting that bad picture in my head of the Pauly Shore in the Army Now movie. Yes. <laughs> and and that is that is... A good movie that is a, a pinnacle movie in humanity's uh, love letter to war and the corruption therein. Wow, you just well to go said back to your original that. point. It was a ripoff of Private Benjamin from the '80s, so which was a ripoff of something else from the '70s, which was a ripoff of something else from the '60s, which. I'm just going to marvel for a moment at the fact that Jason just called that movie Pinnacle I mean, for anything other than retardation. I mean, we, we, we do all know that I was being uh, sar- sarcastic, right? I mean, it's... Well done, indeed. Well God, done. I would hope so. <laughs> um, so, he left West Point because he wanted to write, uh, purely be a writer, and he switched his focus to prose and spent the next several years working for different literary journals and periodicals uh, very much mostly becoming known for his criticism. Um, he was a critic of poems and, and the such. He was, he was a literary critic. And he was a vicious critic. Um, but that's why people liked him so much. Um, he moved all around uh, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, uh, Richmond. 
And in Richmond in 1836, he married his uh, 13-year-old first cousin named Virginia Clem, um, which <laughs> you. So, um, go on, dive on into that one, Chris. Gross, man! Don't I, be telling I, Chris I, to dive into thirteen-year-old girls. I think uh, first cousin. I'm gonna leave it alone. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's probably uh, probably a good idea. As the law dictates. Uh, <laughs> as the law dictates. That's a Bible fact. Um, <laughs> so, in uh, January of forty-five, uh, he published *The Raven* to instant. Instant, 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 instant success. Like he overnight became uh, well known in certain circles to being a fucking superstar. Um, uh, I mean, the when it came out, The Raven was instantly uh, uh, published under a different name uh, in a different publication just because it was so great that people were like, we need to have it no matter what. And he was only paid $9 uh, total, $9 for The Raven when it came out, which it it sounds like a ton of money, right, guys? Um, But but it really, it was not a very significant Compared to how much it's made over the years? Yeah, $9 was... Mm. Well, it's about two months' salary back then. Yeah, but, you know, it's still the raven <laughs> and and with the amount of success that he got the second it fucking came out is crazy um so about two years after the raven was published his wife died of tuberculosis which is also how his mother uh died um and it, it, it shit just kind of went downhill from there um after she died he went a little crazier a little crazier a little crazier and uh on october 7th 1849 in Baltimore uh, at the age of 40 um, he was found wandering the streets uh, in clothes that were not his own and he was brought to a hospital and was dead the next day the cause of his death is completely unknown to this day and has been variously attributed to alcohol brain congestion uh, cholera drug use Heart disease, rabies, rabies, guys, rabies, suicide. What, what? Rabies will get your ass. <laughs> suicide, tuberculosis, and other shit. that supported that? Um, like, you did know, he just have, like, random dog bites on him? Not just random and dog bites, too. Just <laughs> That's, well, you got to think back then, the rats and everything else. Yeah, everything had rabies back then, man. Everything. Yeah, but she still would have to be have, have been bitten by said animal. I mean, are there other ways that you can get rabies? I hear that if you rub uh, a rat with rabies on the bottom of your feet, that um, you can have, uh, it's called super rabies, and it's like rabies, but mm. it's with a cape. Hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, that- I think it goes back to that loose women. He probably got bit one night. Mm. Everything had rabies. <laughs> That's so, extra gross. <laughs> so what? One of the the crazy things about, and kind of the conspiracy thing about uh, his death, is uh, the night that he was in the um, in the hospital. Uh, it's said that he had repeatedly been calling out the name Reynolds, 
uh, though no one knew who the fuck he was he was referring to whatsoever. And um, probably the dude that took his fucking clothes. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's probably like, "Run bastard! Where my skinny jeans?" Um, that was my favorite handkerchief. Some sources say that Poe's final words were, "Lord, help my poor soul." All medical records have been lost, including his death certificate, which I believe, by law, means he's still alive. Um, mm, that's a touchy one. So, for a little bit more uh, into maybe what has killed him or whatever, uh, newspapers at the time reported his death as congestion of the brain or uh, cerebral inflammation, which are or were at the time anyway uh, just common euphemisms for death from disreputable causes such as alcoholism. Um, so I, I, disreputable. So a bit a bit more. Here, uh, speculation on what could have actually killed him: uh, delirium tremens, heart disease, epilepsy, uh, syphilis, uh, meningeal inflammation, uh, rabies, rabies, rabies. Um, and then one theory, uh, dating from 1872, suggests that co-oping was the cause of his death, um, which was a form of electoral fraud in which citizens were forced to vote for a particular candidate, sometimes leading to violence and even murder. Which means um, some some big brutes, some some beat 'em bust 'em ups came up and uh, and said, "Hey, uh, we're gonna beat you up if you don't uh, vote for you know." him for mayor or, or whatever the fuck and Poe was like I'll vote for whoever fuck I want motherfucking Edgar Allan Poe motherfucker and then they killed him hmm yep hmm yep or well I know what I learned from this episode already what's that uh doctors didn't know shit mm-mm how could it be or when two big ass dudes come up and say vote for him you better vote for him yeah but how could there possibly be half that many possibilities of, of something that, like, what, what? Was there no examination whatsoever? Was there no, like, uh, what, did, what did you get? Dude, I don't know. Like, I really. No, there was no anesthesia. There was no anesthesia back then. This is back when, oh, you got an infection in your leg? We're going to cut that fucker off. Very true. <laughs> oh, you have uh, something in your eye? Well, guess what, buddy? We're going to cut that fucking leg off. Yeah. Oh, you got a headache? Let's drill a hole in your head to let the evil spirits out. Ooh, hey, that me. actually works, though. Uh, well, not for evil spirits, <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> Why not? Well, because all... Are you speaking from experience, Chris? Um, I mean, I have several holes in my head. I was, head I was just about to say, Chris has, got a, Chris has enough fucking holes in his head. Okay, so <laughs> let's uh, let's get into his actual writing now, which, as strange as it may sound, uh, hearing what you you people just heard, I uh, really is uh, the more interesting. You uh, fucking people! You fucking people! <laughs> you know what I meant, you son of a racist. Bitch. What are you talking about, you people? That's right. We're talking about you, rabies. Um, don't make me come after you. So, uh, <laughs> I didn't know this. Did you guys know that? Uh, Edgar Allan Poe wrote science fiction. Nay, I say. Nay, what? you say. Okay. Rob, do you know? Did you know yes. that uh, Poe had had been a science fiction writer of sorts as well? 
I believe he wrote a poem called Eureka, where he actually theorized that the universe started with one little particle and it and exploded and expanding, basically coming up with the Big Bang Theory in 1847, the year if he died. Holy and that was not confirmed until the mid 19, like 1940s. Boom. That not, uh, Einstein came around. I I uh, oh. I I did uh, read that as well, and that is fucking crazy that he came up with, uh, and, and in a poem uh, nonetheless. Like it was, it wasn't a a scientific uh, paper or anything like that. It was a poem that he came up with. He came up with the Big Bang theory. That shit is nuts. So do we know? Do we know if he was a fan of um, Indian? Or Vedic literature? If it wait uh, of what literature? Indian Vedic literature. Oh, I not that I saw in particular. Um, you know, because uh, technically, mm-hmm. they came up with the Big Bang theory <clears throat> about ten thousand years ago. Okay. Um, you know what? I have no way to disprove that. So I'm going to say, nah. Nah. Aliens, man. Aliens. That, that That's right. Just I, fucking aliens. I tried to man. tell y'all, but y'all didn't want to hurt me. I heard you, bruh. I heard you, bruh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to read this quick little uh, part of uh, about him and his science fiction. Um, uh, I, and I'm taking uh, almost all of my information tonight from a website called uh, E-A-P-O-E, which is Edgar Allen and then Poe.org, which is the, um, it's the, uh, the like, uh, it's the Edgar Allan Poe fucking organization, whatever, that they run his shit. They run his, his, his memory and shit. Um, so this is just a, a little, little part here about uh, him in science fiction. Uh, his dabblings in the realm of science fiction are hardly recognizable as such today. There aren't any flying saucers, laser guns, or time machines. Um, his works are were more limited to uh, the scientific understandings of his own day. Uh, the closest Poe's tales got to modern science fiction is perhaps the, unparal- the unparalleled adventure of one Hans Fall. That is Fall spelled P-F-A-L-L. Um... At the end of which... Is that, is that the cousin to Wong Hong Lo? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, and it is a uh, far-off, uh, distant uh, half-brother of Hans Gruber. At the end of which, the hero he makes claims... makes an amazing cream of some young, some young guy, I heard. Oof. <laughs> it is the best. The end of which, the hero claims to have taken a balloon to the moon. Um... There, he describes a fantastical-looking city occupied by a vast crowd of ugly little people who have no ears and use a singular method of intercommunication, which, uh, in parentheses, telepathy. Um, the tone of the piece That's is somewhat frightening. humorous in the vein of uh, Gulliver's, Gulliver's Travels, although Poe is less obviously indulging in satire. Now, there is one uh, here that I... I don't I'm not going to read because it, it, it's a bit of a, a short story, but he dabbled uh, not only in science fiction but also in comedy. Um, he comedy. Yes, what? he 
uh, was the um, proprietor? No, he was the 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 propagator, right? He was the propagator uh. of a few hoaxes. Uh, one being the balloon hoax, which in 1844. Um, a story known as the balloon hoax was printed in the Sun newspaper in New York. Uh, the article provided a detailed and highly plausible account of, of a lighter than air balloon, uh, a lighter than air balloon trip by famous European balloonist Monk Mason, which is uh, spelled M-O-N-C-K, Monk, um, across the Atlantic Ocean, taking 75 hours along with a diagram and specifications of the craft. Um, now. Just because he Poe uh, did do this for sure, it, he also at the same time kind of borrowed ideas all the fucking time. Like um, he the the paper that he worked at, um, one of his editors was uh, one of the suspected writers of a hoax that came out a few years prior called the Great Moon Hoax, um, which in itself uh, plagiarized the basic idea from the unparalleled adventure of one Hans fall, which was one of Poe's less successful stories. Um, and then so on and so forth. So let me, I, under the publication history of, um, of the balloon hoax, it has the, the, um, the headline of the paper that it, it ran in that day. And I, I would, I would like to read this uh, to you now if, if I can. <clears throat> Can you? Uh, mm, yeah. Astounding Fair news enough. by Express via Norfolk. The Atlantic crossed in three days. Signal triumph of Mr. Monk Mason's flying machine. Arrival at Sullivan's Island near Charlestown, South Carolina of Mr. Mason, Mr. Robert Holland, Mr. Henson, Mr. Harrings Answorth, and four others in Steering Balloon Victoria after a passage of 75 hours from land to land. Full particulars of the voyage. So, this was all just completely uh -huh. made up by uh, by Poe. And I think that's fucking hilarious. I think that is the goddamn best. I wonder how many people believed it even though it was disproved. Well, I mean... Um, probably several. I was about to say, probably like more than a ton. <laughs> like, like way more than a ton because not it's not specifically that people were just stupid back then. It's that people were stupid and gullible back then. You know? Indeed. They still are today. <laughs> well, and will be till the end I'm of time. about that. So, yeah. So, there's one more thing before we get to the short stories proper that I want to, uh, as uh, Chris says, touch on real quick. Uh, there are... There's, there's a trio of uh, writings that Poe... Uh, called. Let me see. Let me pull up the exact word here for it. Okay, he called the Ratiocination trilogy, um, which is, which includes anyway, uh, the murders in the Rue Morgue, the mystery of Marie Roget, and last but not least, the purloined letter. So, what? 
rationalization is is a um, it's solving something using rationale, of course, instead of uh, whatever the fuck else uh, you would use uh, to whatever, I suppose. You know, buddy? Mayo. I use mayo. I mean... I don't care what anybody thinks. And see, I do too. And then, but like, uh, but my, my lady love, Melissa, she's like, no mayo. No mayo for nothing, ever. You know? And uh, I'm like... I listen to my gallbladder who is uh, actually haunted by the spirit of an 18th century Buddhist monk. Hmm. His name is Frank. Yeah. His Interesting. Name, his name better fucking be Frank. <laughs> you know, good form. A special story. I, I I need to know more. Um, I need to know more. You know what? Maybe that's all you get for now. Yeah, I was about to say maybe we'll do like a like a some kind of special on it. We'll see. Um, cool. So, uh, rationalization though ghosts. means reasoning, conscious, deliberate inference, the activity or process of reasoning, um, thought or reasoning that is exact, valid, and rational, and a proposition arrived at by such thought. So this is just scientific uh, rationale used to, uh, to solve something, basically. So there's something else that's really neat uh, about the murders in the Rue Morgue. It's a short story uh, by Poe that was published in Graham's Magazine in 1841. It it's been recognized as the first modern detective story, for one. Um, but for two... The first? The first modern wow. detective story. That is not it, though. Uh, it's not only the first modern detective story, but it is the first uh, detective story that is based on true crime. Um this story uh there was something that happened in where is it let's see um i think it was virginia i believe um seriously where the fuck is it it happened in his first wife what no oh dude come on now she was 13 <laughs> oh man come on robert have some tact man you're the one who said it happened in her oh man See now, all up in it. I'm all grossed out now, grossing. Ugh. Well, you know, um, this. Allow me to rub it in. It, not the 13 year old, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh. Uh, there, there's a biographer, uh, Jeffrey Myers, that sums up the significance of the murders in the Rue Morgue. It changed the history of world literature. Often cited as the first detective fiction story, the character of Dauphin became the prototype for many future fictional detectives, including Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes and Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot. The genre is distinctive from a general mystery story that in that the focus is on analysis so this like i said it's it's all about rational thinking uh saving the day basically um it established Sounds to me like he might have actually changed how police actually do their fucking jobs i was i was well, seriously thinking the exact same fucking thing um because it yeah, also because how could that be new like that just 
sounds like what you would naturally do. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, like, how is that not something that just always happened forever? But, you exactly. know, that it, this isn't the hunch doing shit. This is the, I have a hunch, now I'm going to sit down and do a bunch of fucking math before I take another step, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um... Like that's how... Uh, well, this was the early 1800s, too. Well, mid, but yeah. Um, it also established a ton of uh, tropes that would be used uh, to death, you know, till the end of time, uh, which is the eccentric but brilliant detective, the bumbling constabulary, the first-person narration by a close personal friend, um, and he also is one of the first to portray the police in an unsympathetic manner um, and using them to be somewhat of yeah, a foil uh, as a foil to the detective so just think uh, and very much so Sherlock Holmes uh, just you know the police are bumbling morons and Sherlock is there to figure it out and save the day no matter what um, he oh, I'm sure that made him so popular with the local police. Oh, oh fuck! I mean, seriously, dude. Like, um, I mean, how were they sure not? It was just, rabies and not a billy club? They were all just like, "I'm gonna suck your dick, Poe." Just wherever he went, just bobbies, just all over him, and it hurt. It hurt his heart because he was like, "But none of you are my 13-year-old cousin." <laughs> I think you need to work on your Barry White voice a little bit, and uh, maybe I don't, th- I don't she think Barry White you. should be saying, "I want to suck your dick." <laughs> well, but who am I to say? Um, this is also it's very cool. Uh, are, you're both aware of what a locked room mystery is, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, like the things that they actually allow you to do now. No, 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 no. That's people... that's an escape room. What a locked oh. what a locked room mystery is just just super quick, is um, is a subgenre of detective fiction in which a crime, almost always murder, is committed under the circumstance, which it was seemingly impossible for the perpetrator to commit the crime and or evade detection in the course of getting in and out of the crime scene. Uh, the crime scene in question typically involves a crime scene with no indication as to how the intruder could have entered or left, i.e. a locked room. Um, following other conventions of classic detective fiction, the reader is normally presented with the puzzle and all of the clues and is encouraged to solve the mystery before the solution is actually revealed in the dramatic, the dramatic climax. Um, huh. So basically, and there... So like any Monk episode ever. Right. And, and, you know, they, they do have a, a few really famous uh, real-world um, uh, locked room mysteries uh, where they found, um, you know, dead bodies in a bathroom that was locked from the inside with nobody else in there uh, that you couldn't... Uh, the first Superman. Like, you could Reeves, yeah. not Reeves. Ex- uh, yes, 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 yes. What the hell um, is his name? Fuck, what is the first Superman's name? Chris. Christopher Reeves? No, no. Christopher Reeves? No, not Christopher Reeves. The original TV actor. Oh, shit. I don't oh, know. He, yeah. He supposedly committed suicide or was murdered, but everything Didn't was Didn't he have shit like... Uh, there's no way he could actually like shot Like, carved himself. into his body and stuff, too, though? Or, or written on his what? body no. in, in lipstick or something like that. No, that was a different one. Okay. That was the guy from Hogan's Heroes. Ah. 
Oh. How did I never hear about any of this shit? I see nothing. Yeah, this is kind of crazy. I didn't know about any of this. Yeah. Um, That's yeah, cool. Dude. But anyway, um, fuck, I can't think of a name. Neither, neither can I. It doesn't fucking matter, man. But uh, only had a Google right in front of me. Poe, um, he, that this story is the first locked room mystery in all of detective fiction. Um, wow. Yeah. So I mean, so not you know I'm trying to to throw out there that he was also just a super 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 smart fucking dude. And that he was he he wasn't just the the horror writer that um that everyone thinks he is today. He he wrote everything. George Reeves. George Reeves. There it is. I knew it had either had Chris in it or Reeves in it. So that's that's fucking perfect. That's fucking perfect. <coughs> mm-hmm. 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 <coughs> so anyway. Sorry, kids. <coughs> And then Bob Crane was the Hogan's heroes. He was the one found bludgeoned to death. With all the sex with stuff done to him? homemade porn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mmm, yeah. love it. Mm, what? Feels good. Mmm. This is wacky. Oh, if you don't know the story of Bob Crane, you need to look that up. That was some yeah, Chris, wild ass shit. You right should, there. because it's fucked. Okay, so I'm not going through uh, the other two uh, parts of the, um, the uh, uh, ratchetization. Um, trilogy. Uh, just know that they're cool, and maybe if you're into detective stories and shit, you should read them. Uh, the end with that. So now we are starting our short stories. Um, we have five of them. Uh, like I said, they will be uh, bookended by some poetry readings by me. But that's neither here nor there. Wait, neither there nor here right now. Something like that. Um. We uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. are going to start out with The Mask of the Red Death. Um, what is your uh, familiarity level with this, uh, this tale, Chris? Uh, zero. I have not read that one. <clears throat> do, you, um, do you know of it at all as far as the, uh, I mean, the basic plot or storyline just from pop culture or anything like that? Negative. Awesome. 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 You will once he starts this once you do the story. Um and, and, yeah, I, possibly, see, I probably will. See, I think a lot a lot of these are are like that where you think that you don't really know what's going on, but then you kinda do and then you're like, Oh, that? Yeah, I've heard that a trillion times. You know what I mean? So, The Mask of the uh, Red yeah, Death I mean, w- was it was originally published uh, as The Mask of the Red Death a fantasy. <laughs> Um, so there's this, there's, there's this prince, right? Um, Prince Prospero. And the story takes place at the castellated abbey of the happy and dauntless and sagacious Prince Prospero. Prospero and a thousand other nobles have taken refuge in his walled abbey to escape the Red Death, which is a terrible plague with gruesome symptoms that has swept over the land. Um, victims of it are overcome by sharp pains, sudden dizziness, and profuse bleeding at the pores. And they die within a half hour. So Prospero and his court are indifferent to the sufferings of the population at large outside the walls. 
They intend to wait the end of the plague in luxury and safety behind the walls of their secure refuge, having welded the doors shut. <clears throat> so, Prospero holds a masquerade ball one night to entertain his, his guests, and they, it's held in seven different colored rooms of the Abbey. Each of the first six rooms is decorated and illuminated in a specific color, the colors being blue, purple, green, orange, white, and violet. The last room is, de is decorated in black and is illuminated by a scarlet light, uh, which has a deep blood color cast from its stained glass windows. Because of this chilling pairing of colors, very few guests are brave enough to venture into the seventh room. A large ebony clock stands in this room and ominously chimes each hour upon which everyone stops talking or dancing and the orchestra stops playing. Once the chime stops, everyone immediately resumes the masquerade. At the Where? chiming of midnight, <clears throat> the revelers and Prospero notice a figure in a dark, blood-splattered robe resembling a funeral shroud. The figure's mask resembles the rigid face of a corpse and exhibits the traits of the Red Death. Gravely insulted, Prospero demands to know the identity of the mysterious guest so they can hang him. The guests, too afraid to approach the figure, instead let him pass through the six chambers. The prince pursues him with a drawn dagger and corners the guests in the seventh room. When the figure turns to face him, the prince lets out a sharp cry and falls dead. The enraged and terrified revelers surge into the black room and forcibly remove the mask and robe, only to find their horror that there's nothing there underneath. Only then do they realize that the figure is Red Death itself, and all of the guests contract, contract and succumb to the disease. The final line of the story sums up, and darkness and decay and the Red Death held eliminable dominion overall doesn't matter how big how fancy how much money you've got death comes for us all exactly exactly that wow no dude about that that was a good uh that was a good summation there for sure so chris what do you think about that like it did it ring any bells uh while i was going through it or or is it still a brand new thing to you no, it's brand new. I think if anything rang any bells at all, it, it was um, the thing about the colored rooms. But I, 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 I don't know if that was if whatever I'm thinking was possibly tied to something else. I, I don't know. No, it was, it was pretty new. It, awesome. Well, what did you think of it? It was good. It was good. I, I mean, I like the. I like the the main point which is what Rob summed up and yeah that's kind of what it is it yeah it's to me and the thing about a lot of Poe's writing is that he hated 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 um he hated allegory he thought um like you could use symbolism but flat out allegory was a big no-no to him so huh. when he He's a very straightforward writer, and I, I, I kind of dig that, especially in his day and age. Um, <clears throat> so, I, I, the, in The Mask of the Red Death, it, this, this, uh, the fact that these douchebags have, until midnight, in their, their shitty, shitty, shitty people party, 
to mm-hmm. to to dance their night away and, and to enjoy each other and to to you know drink uh you know i don't know probably daiquiris because they're they're fey rich people um the fact that we get to sit there and watch them enjoy this this time period uh and usually the reader just knowing what they're reading or or from whom uh would know that something terrible is going to happen. But if they didn't, like if it's not just a whole, ooh, I can't wait till these people die, this is going to be great, um, then it would have to at least have been uh, a good a good chunk of time to start to hate these people to where the Red Death comes in and is kind of the hero of the story, correct? Yeah, yeah. I feel that. You can almost see... Poe writing it to say he would love to go back to the fancy place where he grew up and just watch all of those people die and all their opulence and all of their big things just Ex- drop yeah, one by yeah. one. Exactly. He would just like, love to walk through and watch them die. Yeah, ex- exactly. That does sound like that's what he's saying. That's like... Um, and actually when it... No, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 you. Please, please. I was just thinking that it when you... When, when you said about how the figure was the Red Death itself, like it kind of made me think of um, the demon that was made up of all the the bugs from um, Constantine. Yes, yes. Yeah, kind of oh, like the that. crab and shit. Yeah, and it's just like uh, well, Oogie Boogie from uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. He was. Okay. Yeah. I'm the oogie boogie man. Yes, that one. He he was made of bugs too, and and the very same. And it's like you <laughs> d- you just don't know what's inside someone until you rip their skin off. I think that's what the real lesson here is. You know. Makes sense to me. <laughs> I I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. <laughs> so um, I mean, there's you know there's expert analysis of these stories and i'll i'll touch real quickly because we don't have a whole bunch of them to do but um in this it said that uh he was directly influenced by the first uh gothic novel uh and it was horace walpole's the castle of Ontranto. uh the question mark was my own not in the the title i i don't know if i've said that right (laughs) um so in, in The Mask of the Red Death, he adopts uh, a lot of uh, traditional Gothic fiction, uh, including, of course, the castle setting. Uh, the multiple uh, single-toned rooms could be representative of the human mind, showing different personality types. The imagery of the blood and time throughout also indicates corporeality. Um, the plague, in fact, may represent typical attributes of the human life and mortality, which would imply the entire story is an allegory about a man's futile attempts to stave off death, period. Which I think is what, uh, what, what Rob said so aptly there, is that it doesn't matter who you are, how much money you have, uh, your station in life, what you've done with it, if you were a good person or a bad person, uh, you're going to die. We're all going to die. And uh, uh-huh. I, I think that that is a, a really good, um, yeah, I think that's pretty awesome. Um, Especially with him incorporating the clock into it where it tomes every hour and everybody stops. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as the clock stops, they keep going right along with the party. Like It's like one of them little wake-up calls you get every once in a while. Like, oh, shit, what is that? I'm gonna, I almost died. Indeed, yes, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Indeed. Um, like many of his of his uh, uh, short stories, in particular, um, it's been interpreted uh, autobiographically by some. Uh, in this view, um, Prince Prospero is Poe as a wealthy young man, part of a distinguished family, uh, just like his foster parents. Um, but under this interpretation, Poe is seeking refuge from the dangers of the outside world, and his portrayal of himself as the only person willing to confront the stranger is kind of emblematic of Poe's rush towards inescapable dangers in his own life. Uh, Prospero is also... Well, I could see that, too, with the with everybody around him dying of, uh, of uh, consumption. Uh-huh. That he'd want to lock himself away from all the disease. Exactly, and and what's crazy is like the, I mean the two most important women in his life, uh, in any way, died of consumption of this of this terrible death, and uh, the red death at that, um, you know, coughing up blood and shit. So it's kind of crazy. Um, so yeah, that is Mask of the Red Death, and without Pretty further cool. ad- without further ado, we shall, sir be now heading to the pit and the pendulum why don't you how lovely you know you know what that's one i do know you, okay yeah and yes. rob so you don't know this one then right i can't place it in my brain but once you start talking about it i have a i keep thinking of that uh Wait, i was joking like are you serious strapped to a table where you, you're, like, strapped to a table, and they have that big, like, saw-type blade slowly inching towards you as it swings down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's it. <laughs> that's a pendulum. Done. No, okay. So the plot summary of this one uh, is there's there's a narrator. He doesn't have a name. That's why he's the unnamed narrator. He's brought to trial before uh-huh. the sinister judges of the Spanish Inquisition. Isn't he Vincent Price? Inquisition. Poe. <laughs> Poe provides no explanation of why he's there or the charges he's being tried on. <clears throat> um, before him are seven tall white candles on a table, and as they burn down, his hopes of survival also diminish. He's condemned to death, whereupon he faints and later awakens to find himself in a totally dark room. At the first, well, at the first, listen to me. At first, the prisoner thinks that he's locked in a tomb, but then he discovers that he's in a cell. He decides to explore the cell by placing a scrap of his robe against the wall so that he can count the paces around the room, but he faints before he can measure the whole perimeter. When he reawakens, he discovers food and water nearby. He tries to measure the cell again and finds that the perimeter measure uh, 100 steps. While crossing the room, he trips on the hem of his robe and falls, his chin landing at the edge of a deep pit. He realizes that, had he not tripped, he would have fallen into this pit. Well, after losing consciousness again, the narrator discovers that the prison is slightly illuminated now, and that he's strapped to a wooden frame on his back, facing the ceiling. Above him is a picture of Father Time with a razor-sharp pendulum measuring one foot from horn to horn suspended from it. The pendulum is swinging back and forth and slowly descending, designed to kill the narrator eventually. However, he's able to attract rats to him by smearing his bonds with the meat left for him to eat. The rats chew through the straps and he slips free just before the pendulum can begin to slice into his chest. The pendulum is withdrawn into the ceiling and the walls become red hot and start to move inwards, forcing him slowly toward the center of the room and the pit. 
As he loses his last foothold and begins to topple in, he hears a roar of voices and trumpets. The walls retract, and an arm pulls him to safety. The French army has captured the city of Toledo, and the Inquisition has fallen into its enemy's hands. Huh. So... What I I see this this story as is is kind of a you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't. I mean this story kind of gives me my my real life chaos. Um, it is you could be innocent of these things that you're being uh, accused of, yet it doesn't matter what you think or what actually happened. All that matters is that the accuser is accusing you of what they want to think you did. And there's nothing you can do about it because you, there, there's literally, I mean, you can have proof or whatever. It's the fucking Inquisition. What are you going to do? So you're destined to, to die. You're destined to, to lose this battle no matter what. But then at the last second, even after you've tried and you've tried and you've tried to show any... Thing that you could to, to show your will to live you're still fucked but then just because you're saved just because maybe a change of heart or a, or a, um, you know whatever just it's so random in it's and then he was saved you know yeah I think it's more of the struggle against death more as but you wake up every day. But you can't win against death. Like struggle for it. You know what I mean? No, but you can't give up either. Because he could have just jumped in the pit. He could have just stayed Absolutely. there and let the knife slice him. Absolutely. But I mean, knowing he could have just sat there in his misery. Knowing he couldn't even get out of that room, he smeared his bonds with uh, with meat to get the rats that had previously been gnawing on him and shit to you know to free him. So. Yeah, it, there is that stick itiveness that that never give up opity, um, osity. Never give up osity. Is that a good one, Chris? That'll work. Sure, I approve it. All right, it has been Chris approved, and uh, what is it? Uh, what is it? Um, uh, uh, he likes it, Mikey. Um, Chris tested mother <laughs> Give it approved. To Mikey, he'll eat anything. <laughs> yeah. Here's some shit, Mikey. Mothers. Eat it, you son of a bitch. Mothers do approve when I test it. That's... I don't... You know, see, I don't get that. I don't get what you just said being attractive to you or anyone else. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's okay. That's probably why I'm single. Oh, Now it's that again... <laughs> that's okay as well don't worry don't so worry. um poe somewhat wrote this i mean it's got the spanish inquisition in it and shit um kind of on real life stuff right but he um he takes dramatic um dramatic dramatic license <laughs> uh with like yeah. the real history behind it um, the rescuers in the story are led by Napoleon's General LaSalle, um, who was not in real life in command of the French occupation of Toledo. Is it Toledo or Toledo? He when was a dick. Never let facts get in the way of a good story. No, never. I mean, I don't. And this place, the action, this place is the action during the uh, 
Peninsular War, which happened in 1808 to 1814, which was centuries, centuries, that's hundreds of years after the height of the Inquisition. Um, the, the ridiculously elaborate torture of this story, um, none of those things ever happened. I mean, you know, there, there have been some fucked up shit happened, but uh, no one built a giant torture chamber to have one guy strapped to a board and psychologically fucking scar him only to goddamn push him into a hole anyway. <clears throat> um, well, it could also pull the religion into it, too, where he was baptized Episcopalian, even though he was not. So he was forced into a religion that he wasn't really into. But, I mean, so to, but to he put kinda, it in the Inquisition... He ended up kind of being into it. Like, he, like he got to be real, uh, you know, chummy with uh, the... Uh, the, what are they called? The, um, God damn it. The Jesuits, uh, that, you know, were from the church down the street from his, his house later in life and so on and so forth. But I mean, th this is more about like him just taking a uh, crazy, uh, license with, uh, real history in general. Um, so like, like I said that like the tortures that just weren't, um, ever anything, uh, let alone, uh, during the 19th century, um, that's the uh, Char under Charles the third and fourth only four people were condemned uh, during the Inquisition at that time so uh, the Inquisition was however this is true abolished during the period of French intervention in 1808 to 1813 so um, that was uh, true I guess um, Pope so you would say that's the last time the French actually won a war I would say that that's the last time uh, the French actually won a war. I think that's fair. That yeah. is a fair statement and also approved. But it wasn't kid-tested, so down the drain it goes. <laughs> Poe places a Latin epigraph before the story, describing it as a quatrain composed for the gates of a market to be erected upon the site of the Jacobin uh, Jacobean Clubhouse at Paris. Uh, the epigraph was not Poe's invention. Such an inscription had been reported no later than 1803 as having been composed with the intention, possibly facetious, of having it placed on the site, and had it, and it had appeared without attribution as an item of trivia in the 1836 Southern Literary Messenger, a periodical to which Poe contributed. It does not appear, however, that the market was ever built, as intended. Um, Charles Baudelaire, a French poet who translated Poe's work into French and who viewed Poe as an inspiration, said that the building on the site of the old Jacobean Club had no gates, therefore no in inscription. Uh, that's just the end of the, the lack of historical authenticity of this. Um, Chris, uh, what do you think... Yes. Um, analyze the pit and the pendulum for a second. Tell me what you think. Not not what Poe was thinking about uh, as the greater theme of this story, but what you, as a person who who would have no prior knowledge whatsoever of uh, Poe or his writing style or his intentions behind anything, you would read this and it would mean what to you, especially and in. in the mid 1800s no okay thanks that's fair <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah that's I what I got it. for you I dig it 
Yeah. Yeah. In, in no way can, can I put you myself dig it? in the mind state of someone that lived in the 1800s for the simple fact that that shit was fucked up. Okay, well, right. t- well tell me what... I grew up what... poor and stuff, but, I mean, <laughs> damn. Tell me what Chris finding it today would have said. Oh, well, I mean, Chris today is, uh, a, a, I would say one of those, like, it's like a love-hate thing between me and the Spanish Inquisition. I think that's, mm-hmm. like, historically one of the most fucked up things that has ever happened, and it happened for almost 500 years. That's what I was just about to say. A lot of people don't realize that the Inquisition lasted half a goddamn hundred, hundred years. No, dude. Millennium. No, fi- almost 500. Yeah, almost a, like half a millennium. That shit is... That is disgusting. And, yeah, uh, okay, so, but that, that makes me think of all kinds of other crazy shit that has nothing to do with Edgar Allan Poe. Honestly... I'm just I'm reminded of of the old um, when Vincent Price uh, did the, sh- the the collection of short stories by Poe and and the Pit and the Pendulum was mm-hmm. um, was one of them that that he acted out and I, at the time when I saw that as a kid I had no idea that that was Spanish Inquisition shit that shit was just creepy and. I think uh, I, mean, I didn't know that it was until colorful. I read this. Yeah, yeah, it's just colorful and creepy, man. I dig it. There's a um, there was a uh, a critic um, uh, back when this was uh, when this was uh, published in 1845 by the name of William Butler Yeats, um, who. Why was, do I know that name? I I swear to God, I think I know Yates. it too. But uh, and like not just Yeats, but William Butler Yeats. But um, yeah, he generally did not like uh, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, usually calling him uh, vulgar. Um, but he said of the Pit and the Pendulum that it doesn't seem to me to have permanent literary value of any kind. Analyze the Pit and the Pendulum, and you'll find an appeal to the nerves by tawdry physical affrightments. So, in other words, huh. um, only jackasses that get off on the basis of um, of the animal instinct kind of would find any uh, use for this as uh, as a literary uh, that hold you know it, it, it's so me basically because I just said colorful and creepy exactly and that's why I dig it oh that's okay. and that's so, exactly okay. why I found it and had Fuck to read that, that guy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Appreciate he, that. You're welcome, bud. I mean, I, I wanted to, to give some validity to your wrong statement. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I <laughs> believe me, dude, I feel the exact same way. I fucking love it, and that's why I love horror in general, is because of uh, that sentiment exactly. <clears throat> so we're not creatures of substance, though. We're just violent animals. That's um, basically what that guy's no, saying. We, we can be both, you know? We can be both. We can both want we to. We can. We can both want to fuck and fuck up. You know what I mean? I all was always under the assumption that when they told you you can be anything you want when you grow up, I thought you had to like choose one. 
You know we could be both. Well, I mean, no. I mean, the technically... Fuck? Have I been doing this wrong for 37 years? Well, no. I mean, we all came well, to yeah, an agreement because... that you can only choose one. The rest of us can be whatever the fuck we want, whenever we want. But you... <sighs> yeah. You see, because I can be an asshole and a smartass at the same time. So, you see... Mm-hmm. No, that's double ass, Rob. That's... That's a lot of ass. <laughs> that, well, that's why I'm always hauling it. I was about to say, yeah. was fucking maybe some of it fell out of your fucking truck, Chris, because you're always hauling it everywhere. Ugh. Shake that thing. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Watch yourself. The cask of Amon T. Yato. Now this is what? one of my favorite stories right here. This one, is that I had... the, is that the batter dipped deep fried sandwich that yeah. I love so much? Yeah, which is it's crazy that how, I mean, how is this like? Um, my, I mean, the fact that this is Robert's favorite story, it's kind of tells you a lot. That about makes Robert. Rob a fatty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes him whatever His favorite story. Whatever. The I love a good revenge story. A batter dip deep fried club sandwich with Swiss mm. instead and fucking no oh, bacon. Oh, that I sounds mean, that's, good. Oh, my nipples are so hard. about that story is that it has no bacon. Nipples are so hard. You're making me hungry again. God damn. You're making me hungry and <laughs> sexy. Okay, so uh, I had never heard of uh, this. Well, I had heard of this the name of this story before, but I had never heard it. I would never read it um, until the other day when I was doing my research, uh, which actually I meant to gloat about that earlier. Hey guys, I did some motherfucking actual research for this goddamn podcast. I don't believe it until I what? see your handwriting. It, I have bookmark upon bookmark upon bookmark for this. Oh, I still got windows okay. open about Betty Cash and Vicky Landrum. I think maybe I should kind of post those on Facebook. Hey, man. Post away. I, um, this is too much shit for me to post. I will, however, maybe, uh, post some of the creepy, uh, art from the early 19, uh, late 1800s for some of Poe's work, which is, is kind of cool. Hell yeah. Um, so. Yeah, you guys gotta start teasing some episodes. I'm serious. Why? (laughs) I tease episodes because like fucking mad, man. I, I tease episodes the be day tease. before they come, come out. I rub them in clockwise. As in long clockwise as, Robert, you don't tease the specifics of an episode where Chris and I can see them before we record. Stop. Mm, hey, I true. didn't know you had a magnifying glass, and I still don't <laughs> want to know what you use it for, okay? It's called zooming in on your phone. <laughs> oh, well. God damn it. So... The cask of Amontillado, um, which is a short story by Edgar Allan Poe. Surprised, fellas? Yeah, I've never read this one either. Yeah, uh, yeah, same. Uh, but and yet this is Robert's favorite, which it is really good though. To be f- um, to hmm? be fair to me, I don't read a lot. Period. Uh, yeah. Actually, uh, maybe if you count street signs, I read a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to count those. Um, and, and maybe, like, subtitles? Okay, yeah. That that you can have. That you can have all day. Cool. I'm down with that. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, I've read this story several times, but if you want to truly, 
truly get a good understanding of it, Thug Notes did this story. Who did? Thug Notes? Thug Notes. Oh, the one where the, thug, the, like, the thuggish like dude uh, goes through... Uh, yeah, with Professor yeah. Sparky Sweets or something like that. I've, yes. I've never listened to it, but I've, I've seen it on uh, the, the podcast player and been like, hmm, that sounds neat. And then I just don't listen to it, just like I don't listen to anything else. Um, so in this story, Chris, uh, since <laughs> it's just you and I awesome. who are the uh, the dum-dums in the room here, <clears throat> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the story's narrator, uh, Montressor, tells an unspecified person who knows him very well of the day he took his revenge on Fortunato, which is Italian for the fortunate one, who is a fellow mm. nobleman. Uh, being angry Already over... Already I like that we actually have a name for this narrator, like we know who he is. Oh, so far. It's not just some weird, creepy guy, like, breathing hard <laughs> on the back of hater. our necks. Oh, it, get, it gets... We get into more like that, don't worry. You'll be happy. Um, Angry over numerous injuries and some unspecified insult, Montressor plots to murder his quote-unquote friend during carnival. While the man is drunk, dizzy, and wearing a jester's motley, Uh, Montressor lures Fortunato into a private wine-tasting excursion by telling him he's obtained a pipe, which is... (laughs) It's a uh, it's about 130 gallons, which is also about 492 liters, of what he believes to be a rare vintage Amontid, uh, Amontillado. Why I've said it right so wow. many fucking times now, I fucked it up. Amontillado. He proposes. It's a fancy wine. He proposes obtaining confirmation of the pipe's contents by inviting a fellow wine aficionado, uh, Lucchesi, for private tasting. Montressor knows Fortunato will not be able to resist them demonstrating his discerning palate for wine and will insist that he taste the Amontillado rather than Lucchesi, who, as he claims, cannot tell Amontillado from cherry. Uh, sherry, not cherry. <clears throat> um, Fortunato goes with Montressor to the wine cellars of the, latter pl- the latter's Plazzo, where they wander in the catacombs. Montressor offers wine, first Medoc, and then de grave to Fortunato in order to keep him inebriated. Montressor warns Fortunato, who has a bad cough, of the dampness and suggests they go back. But Fortunato insists on continuing, claiming he shall not die of a cough during their walk. Montressor mentions his family coat of arms, which is a golden foot in a blue background crushing a snake whose fangs are embedded in the foot's heel, with the motto, Nemo me impure it. No one attacks me with impunity. At one point, Fortunato okay. makes an elaborate, grotesque gesture with a, an upraised wine bottle. When Montressor appears not to recognize the gesture, Fortunato asks, Are you not of the Masons? Montressor says he is, and when Fortunato, disbelieving, requests a sign, Montressor displays a trowel he had been hiding. Haha, get it? He's got a trowel, he's a Mason. Um, when they come to a niche, no. uh, Montressor tells his victim that the Amontillados would in. Uh, Fortunato enters drunk and unsuspecting, and therefore does not resist, as Montressor quickly chains him to the wall. Montressor then declares that since Fortunato won't go back, Montressor must positively leave him here. Montressor reveals brick and mortar 
previously hidden among the bones nearby and proceeds to wall up the niche using his trial, entombing his friend alive. At first, Fortunato, who sobers up faster than Montresor anticipated, shakes the chains trying to escape. Fortunato then screams for help, but Montresor mocks his cries knowing nobody can hear him. Fortunato laughs weakly and tries to pretend that he is the subject of a joke and that people will be waiting for him, including Lady Fortunato. As Montressor finishes the topmost row of stones, Fortunato wails, For the love of God, Montressor. To which Montressor replies, Yes, for the love of God. He listens for a reply, but hears only the jester's bells. Before placing the last stone, he drops a burning torch through the gap. He claims that he feels sick at heart, but dismisses this reaction as an effect on the dampness of the catacombs. In the last few sentences, Montressor reveals that 50 years later, Fortunato's body still hangs from its chains in the niche where he left it. The murderer concludes, In peace, resquiat, which means, may he rest in peace. What do you think, Chris? Well, then. It is. Um, it's a story about uh, entombing uh, a person alive. And what I love the most about this story in particular is that um, he does this to a quote-unquote friend, first of all. Second of all, he does it for what seems to be perceived slights that, that we don't have confirmation of these slights that happened and how slightful they were and how slighty they had been around other people's boyfriends, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a this is an interesting one. I don't I mean, I, burying somebody alive or entombing them or that's fucked up. Oh fuck yeah. Way okay. more fucked up than just killing them. Well, it, but <laughs> you know what else is crazy about it, though, is that, um, you know, Fortunato is alive and he is chained up to this wall and he's watching his entombment live. Um, right. Like he, he wasn't knocked out and thrown in there and then walled in to wake up under the, the, the horror that he had been, you know, now he's, he's stuck for life. Uh, it's that right. he's got to sit there and watch who he who he thought was his friend wall him up while he mocks his cries for help. Ugh, so twisted. It's really a story about greed. Because he gives him several opportunities to turn around. He's like, you know, it's kind of damp down here and you've already got that cough. You sure you want to go forward? Fortunato says yes. Then he gets a little further and he goes, do you know what my crest is, right? You know. The, the foot yeah. stepping yeah, on the snake. Fortunato yeah. continues into it. So he gives him every opportunity to turn back. Like, are you sure you want to keep going? But see, and the yeah, guy's but, lust for this wine just is so great that he has to go. And, but yeah, yet, but that's the thing. Is when he, he gets there. him in the first place. Yeah. But so it's a, when you're chasing after something so much that you can't focus on anything else, all you see is that thing that you want. In the end it just bricks you up and now you're tied to it. Yeah. It's like the people um, chasing after the new car, the big house. 
Right. Pretty I, soon you're shackled. You know, I I do I do really like uh, that explanation of it. Um, I I kind of came away with it with uh, there was I don't see you kind of see Montressor I think as uh, some kind of um, you know he he wants he's the voice of reason when you look at it because he keeps telling the guy are you sure you want to keep not. going he's not are because because sure? it was completely he hid the brick and mortar in the catacombs amongst the bones of his long dead relatives to uh, to wall in this person against perceived slights that uh, were so egregious to him uh, that I don't think he would have turned around and left if he said, oh, yeah, you're right, cough, 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 let's go. I think he did, like, he did I believe, want to be that dickhead who was like, oh, I, I know exactly what he's going to say to this because, fuck, man, he wants that wine, so I'll just I'll do this. But I think he was more humoring himself than anything in those situations because I he would not have let him go. Um, you know, he, he says... I was... Mm-hmm, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I, well, I was thinking either humoring himself in the way that you were saying or perhaps even like almost almost like giving himself little outs like trying to talk himself out of it the whole time by giving the other guy outs but in a way it would be giving himself outs if the guy actually took it but right. since he okay, never yeah. took it well then he set all this up so he might as well go through with it fuck it Absolutely, and That's and fine. that your grave, you got a lot in it. That makes a lot. That makes a lot of fucking sense too. Actually, is 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 him uh, maybe not having the uh, the cojones to go through with this um, baseless, you know, murder of uh, who is or was a friend, uh, saying that you know, well, okay, well, maybe we can go back, and then asking him, and then when he when he uh says no he's like well okay shit um okay well okay let's uh, let's try this then but um right and why else would you do something that like that where you you don't actually have to physically harm someone i mean he did ignore his cries i guess which is he didn't ignore them he mocked them he mocked his cries. okay so yeah you gotta be pretty twisted to be doing this type of shit it really doesn't matter if you fucking physically hurt the guy or not to in in your revenge before you bar him up like that's yeah yeah I don't know I don't know but maybe uh, like I like I really like Rob's explanation for it because he saw something within the words I personally take things perhaps too literally most right. of the time so like I mean sometimes if it's not coming from me personally I won't see the analogy right or right I right won't catch the symbolism well, let let me let me uh leave off uh the, the cask of amontillado with this uh this one a very short sentence um which is why i think you're both right and you're both wrong um with uh your explanations of it but these these are more feelings than explanations of course and no one's right or wrong but uh montressor says to fortunato you are rich, respected, admired, beloved. You are happy as once I was. Hmm. 
So so he's just a fucking hater. It exactly. He 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 came from uh, a, a super respected wealthy family who uh, is now on the decline and. Uh, Fortunato comes from a uh, now upcoming super rich and wealthy and respected family. And I think that Fortunato had no slights, no thousand fucking, uh, you know, wrongs against Montressor. I think it is purely a jealousy thing. And he's got to take him out because he is who I used to be. And how how can I be that again with him still here? Okay, we have yeah, we have yeah, two yeah. more, and uh, this one is probably going to be the the longest out of them all. So let's get to the fall of the House of Usher, which mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Usher looks good for fucking you know over two hundred years old. I'm just going to throw that out there now. Um, he can still <laughs> dance like crazy, and uh, yeah. he can rock a pair of sunglasses like fucking nobody's business. Dude, for 200 years old, his ankles are doing wonderfully. Fucking better than mine, and I'm only 35. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so the plot of the ho- fall of the House of Usher, which this is this is probably my absolute favorite uh, Poe short story. Um, it begins with the unnamed narrator back again, fucking with a vengeance. Mm, Arriving at the house of his friend, Roderick Usher, having received a letter from him in a distant part of the country complaining of an illness and asking for his help. As he arrives, the narrator notes a thin crack extending from the roof down the front of the building and into the adjacent lake. Although Poe wrote this story before the invention of modern psychological science, Roderick's condition can be described according to its terminology. It includes a form of sensory overload known as hyperresnia, uh, which is a hypersensitivity to textures, light, sounds, smells, and tastes. Uh, Hypochondria, which is an excessive preoccupation or worry about having a serious illness. Um, And acute anxiety, um, which I think we all know what anxiety is. And um, when, when it's adorable, it's fucking serious. Um, <laughs> it's revealed that Roderick's twin sister Madeline is also ill and falls into um, cataleptic death-like trances. Roderick and Madeline are the only wow. remaining members of the House of Usher. Um, the narrator is impressed with Roderick's paintings and attempts to cheer him by reading with him and listening to his improvised musical compositions on guitar. Roderick sings the haunted palace then tells the narrator that he believes the house he lives in to be alive and that um, this sentience arises from the arrangement of the masonry and the vegetation surrounding it further Roderick Hmm. believes that his fate's connected to the family mansion Roderick later informs the narrator that his sister has died and insists that she be entombed for two weeks in the family tomb located in the house before being permanently buried the narrator helps Roderick put the body in the tomb, and he notes that Madeline has rosy cheeks, as some do after death. They inter her, but over the next week, both Roderick and the narrator find themselves becoming increasingly agitated for no apparent reason. A storm begins. Roderick comes to the narrator's bedroom, which is situated directly above the vault, and throws open his window to the storm. 
He notices that the tarn surroundings the house seem to glow in the dark as it glowed in Roderick Usher's paintings, although there is no lighting. The narrator attempts to calm Roderick by reading aloud The Mad Tryst, which is a novel involving a knight named uh, Elthrid who breaks into a hermit's dwelling in an attempt to escape an approaching storm, only to find a palace of gold guarded by a dragon. He also finds hanging on the wall a shield of shining brass on which is written a legend. He who entereth herein, a conqueror hath been, who slayeth the dragon, shall the shield shall he win. With a stroke of his mace, Elthrid kills the dragon who dies with a piercing shriek and proceeds to take the shield which falls to the floor with an unnerving clatter. As the narrator reads of the knight's forcible entry into the dwelling, cracking and ripping sounds are heard somewhere into the house. When the dragon is described as shrieking as it dies, a shriek is heard again within the house. As he relates the shield from falling off the wall, a reverberation, metallic and hollow, can be heard. Roderick becomes increasingly hysterical and eventually exclaims that these sounds are being made by his sister, who was, in fact, alive when she was entombed. Additionally, Roderick somehow knew that she was alive. The bedroom door is then blown open to reveal Madeline standing there. She falls on her brother, and both land on the floor as corpses. The narrator then flees the house, and as he does so, notices a flash of moonlight behind him, which causes him to turn back, in time to see the moon shining through the suddenly widened crack. As he watches, the house of Usher splits into two, and the fragments sink into the tarn. So, this this story is all kinds of fucked up, man. So, his, his childhood friend... And I mean, in the full story, oh, and uh, that that Poe thing on Netflix that I was that I was telling y'all about is called um, Extraordinary Tales. Check it out; it is fucking amazing. Um, and this oh, is yeah. this is one of them on there, but it's it's so fucking worth it. Um, so, uh, the narrator spent time here as a child. You know, this is one of his his best friends for life, his BFFs, if you will, and. Um, He's sick. Roderick's sick, and he wants uh, Mr. Narrator to come, you know, hang out, make his time a little better, you know, maybe help him out with some things. Uh, Narrator gets there, and now there's just crazy. There's just crazy seeping out from under the fucking floorboards. It's dripping from the goddamn ceiling. It's, uh, you know, spraying out from that fucking, that weird faucet that doesn't just, it, maybe something's gunked up inside it, and it's... It's like you try to fucking you mean the one that it. washes your balls. Yes, that one. It's um, you know, it's it's like it's the it's the mini turlet. That's what I call them. It's the mini turlets. Ah, um, I see. But you know, mini he gets turlet. he gets there in all, uh, and he's prepared, uh, to help. You know, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna fucking help my buddy out, and everything's gonna be okay for him because I'm here <laughs> to be a good buddy, and um. He gets there, and there's just crazy, 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 crazy. Dude's probably not even really sick. Uh, dude's probably not even, uh, you know, anything, really. And he proceeds to then be told, hey, uh, yeah, you know my sister, who's kind of just like me or whatever? Um, oh, yeah, she's dead. Can we, uh, can you help me bury her, maybe? And then we can, uh... You know, get get back to the the crazy. You know, but uh, let's bury her inside for like uh, 
let's say two weeks and uh no we're gonna bury you right under the room that i put you in when you got here and um and then you know yeah we'll, we'll we'll have some fun and then they do that and then it's raining and then and then he's like oh god and then he starts reading him a fucking book that's my favorite part about this is that there is a story inside a story that like the, the story of the night going into the hermit's lair and finding a, a, a palace of gold and all this shit is a fully right. fleshed out tale of its own inside another tale and it's literally only put there to be a comfort to uh, the crazy person and shit just starts happening that relates the fucking fully fleshed out tale within the tale to the crazy person that's the focus of the original tale I think that's nuts and I love it but that was also standard practice yeah, 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 but but I don't I don't think it was I don't think it was uh, often so well done, you know. Well, no, the standard practice of leaving her not burying her for two weeks. Oh, uh, oh actually, yeah, so the forerunner sure, to funeral homes sure were not death dead. houses where they yeah. would actually yeah well they they would actually lay people out because they didn't know are you sleeping mm-hmm. are you dead or are you not right. <laughs> and there's countless tales of people being buried alive yeah that's so what they would literally leave dead bodies laying out on a table mm-hmm. for a week or two just to make sure and that's why they would that's uh you know uh, bury people with the bells that were. You know, tied to their toes and shit like that, and blah blah blah. But you know what I say? I say screw all that and just let's just chop off the heads. You know, you come into my funeral home, (laughs) your head's coming off immediately, and then uh, there are no questions. I'm getting paid, bitches. (laughs) There you go. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I mean, you could you could just you know for the an open casket wake or whatever. You know, you just super glue it back into place. Uh, yeah, I was about to say we, we just you glue it, you you staple it, you um, you know what? One of my favorite things always little, to do was little hubba bubba. No man, is is you <laughs> stick a you stick a bunch of toothpicks into the the bottom part, and then you just stick the top part back onto the toothpicks. Man, that shit ain't going nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how we would do it in the culinary world. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, the thing I found odd though is that um, yet again with the with the whole like setting it up but covering your tracks but kind of not at the same time in that he told him the house was alive right in the beginning so that almost to me that's kind of like a setup for oh I know the bitch ain't dead uh, right. So <laughs> it's like so when the screaming and the fucking the the, the noises are happening, and, you know, he could have just played it off. Like no, nah, I told you the house is alive, man. It don't it doesn't like this story, and um, I took a mean shit earlier, and it is not happy with me. Still. The house, you know, smells. That's just the ice maker kicking on in the fridge. Don't worry about it. Worry yeah, about I put I put fucking potato peels in the goddamn garbage disposal, and it's fucked up. And yeah, man. Oh. But no, he no, he fucks himself over by telling him that he knew she wasn't dead. Yeah, and then, but, you know, but I love how cheeks. he just somehow knew. But I think he somehow knew because he just knew that she would go into these comas, and he was like, "I'm crazy. Let's bury her." What I wonder is how, like, 
Okay, this is what I was trying not to bring up earlier, but I'm, I'm just gonna fucking hit it real quick and then, then wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, uh, without going in too far to hit, it. Hit so, it quick. you know how, yeah, you, you know how fucking pretty much, aside from all the unexplainable shit, let's just take all that shit out, uh-huh. aside from all the unexplainable shit, the, the, the history of mankind, all the way up into the last, like, 300 years, has been nothing but fucking kill. Fucking kill, fucking kill, fucking kill, build some shit, fucking kill. Mm-hmm. But like the, the the jump in 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 fucking intelligence and, and that kind of all the leaps that we've made in the last, you know, just hundred years alone, like that shit blows my mind when we talk about shit like this, that this wasn't this was barely a hundred years ago. Right? And they didn't even know that dead bodies get cold instead of fucking uh, warm? Like, what? What? Well, I mean, let's be fair here. This was over 150 years ago. And... Whatever. It, um... You know, I mean... Hey, man. I mean... there. I mean, I'm not gonna say... You know what? Shut up, Chris. I'm gonna say aliens. That's what I'm gonna say. Yeah, I mean, yeah. How yeah. the fuck else? Aliens. How the fuck else? I'm okay. Just, well, I'm let just... me let me say this. Uh, I, oof. These two paragraphs are great. The explicit psychological dimension of this tale has prompted many critics to analyze it as a description of the human psyche, comparing, for instance, the house to the unconscious and its central crack to a split personality. Mental disorder is also evoked through the themes of melancholy, possible incest, and vampirism. An incestuous relationship between Roderick and Madeline is never explicitly stated, but seems implied by the strange attachment between the two. I always thought that was true. Now, here's the best. I take your fucking crazy shit alien thing and raise you opium withdrawal. Opium, which Poe mentions several times in both his prose and poems, is mentioned twice in this tale. The gloomy sensation occasioned by the dreary landscape around the Usher Mansion is compared by the narrator to the sickness caused by the withdrawal symptoms of an opiate addict. The narrator also describes Roderick's, Usher, Roderick Usher's appearance as that of an irreclaimable eater of opium. Wow, he's always... So he, his friend was was into heroin, basically. And was going through withdrawals, mm-hmm. and, it, and he was having sex with his sister, yep. who was also a heroin addict. And an alien, I believe. And just, well, that goes without saying. Mm-mm. Boy, there goes Poe with that incest again, man. I'm telling you. Uh, I don't well, know. Some CC with this poetry and fucking weird literary shit. Like, I, I sometimes, a lot of times, I feel like these people are stretching so fucking far that they want they it's kind of like that that theory that if you're if you go looking for something you're gonna find it but only most of the time it's only because you kind of forced it right right you know right. what i mean like honestly i i didn't get any of that from it i mean the house and it yeah that shit was weird and all but maybe that again maybe that's just me taking everything too literally like well, i didn't may, get maybe if, if i didn't we, get anything you know, incestuous or opium out of it at all well, we we also didn't read the whole story. Is you know, it was just a uh, uh, it was just a, a synopsis of it, a, a summary of it. So, 
Um, uh, fair enough. You know, reading the whole thing, I, you absolutely would have gotten the uh, the incestuous thing from it <laughs> because oh, okay. dude loved his little cyst, like for certain. Um, Was she so, 13? Um, <laughs> it is. Ne- it was also the only two of them living in the house. It's never implicitly uh, said. So let's go ahead and say yes, absolutely, one hundred percent, positively, for sure. She was thirteen. Apparently, that was the thing back in the day. So you know, I, I mean, how could he deny? His well, if you only lived to forty, all the way up until urges, Jerry right? Lewis, and then wait, Jerry Lewis. Is he? He's the yes. great balls of fire. No, guy, right? not Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah. Yes. He married the other his great tiny balls cousin. of fire. Speaking of the great balls of fire, bag. we will now conclude the show with the Telltale Heart. I was just about to say, do you guys see this time? Like, yeah, exactly. So. The summary, the Telltale Heart is a first-person narrative of an unnamed narrator who insists he is sane. This fucking guy. Yeah, shut up. Gets into (laughs) some shit. He insists he's sane but is suffering from a disease, which is just nervousness. We're going to call him Ernie. Over acuteness of the senses. Now, there is... Maybe it's nightmares from fucking burying 13-year-old girls alive. (laughs) There, there's uh, ambiguity surrounding the identity of the narrator. Uh, so we can't really know the narrator's gender uh, for sure, um, but most people uh, assume it is a male, so say he. But um, the old man... Are you assuming their gender? The old man with whom the narrator lives has a clouded, pale blue vulture-like eye, which distresses the narrator so much that he plots to murder the old man, despite also insisting that he loves the old man. The narrator insists that his careful precision in committing the murder proves that he can't possibly be insane. For seven nights, the narrator opens the door of the old man's room in order to shine a sliver of light onto the evil eye. So, the last two, the last two sentences... See, that sounds like a woman to me. The last two sentences. The narrator insists that his careful precision in committing the murder proves that he cannot possibly be insane. Followed by the sentence, For seven nights, the narrator opens the door of the old man's room in order to shine a sliver of light onto the evil eye. I think that might still hold up in court today, though. Mm. Like, if you if you take enough time to really plan something, I think they, they pretty much just go, Yeah, he's crazy, but he knew exactly what the fuck he was oh, doing. Fuck yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so, um... However, the old I man's vulture crazy. eye... I crept into his bedroom every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Me? But he knew crazy? exactly what he was doing. I mean, come on, guys. All I was trying to do for <clears throat> fucking a week in a row was see if I could get a sliver of light into his fucking crazy evil vulture eye. Guys? Yeah, I wonder... Does I wonder that make if, me like, crazy? I, I wonder if the eye, like, you know, threw some kind of like weird shadow puppet on the wall when it reflected just right or you know it said eat at joe's and it blunk um <laughs> it blunk <laughs> so the old man's vulture eye is uh, always closed making it impossible to quote unquote do the work on the eighth night the old man awakens after the narrator's hand slips and makes a noise 
interrupting the narrator's nightly ritual. But the narrator does not draw back and, after some time, decides to open his lantern. A single thin ray of light shines out and lands precisely on the evil eye, revealing that it's wide open. Hearing the old man's heart beating loudly and dangerously fast from terror, the narrator decides to strike, jumping out with a loud yell and smothering the old man in his own bed. The narrator then ha -ha! exactly ha -ha! the narrator then dismembers the body and conceals the pieces under the floorboards and ensures the concealment of all signs of the crime. Even so, the old man's scream during the night causes a neighbor to report to the police who the narrator invites in to look around. He claims that the screams heard were his own in a nightmare and that the man is absent out in the country. Confident that they'll not find any evidence of the murder, the narrator brings chairs for them and they sit in the old man's room on the very spot where the body is concealed and suspect nothing as the narrator has a pleasant and easy manner about him. The narrator begins to feel uncomfortable and notices a ringing in his ears. As the ringing grows louder, the narrator comes to the conclusion that it's the heartbeat of the old man coming from under the floorboards. The sound increases steadily, though the officers seem to pay it no attention. Terrified by the violent beating of the heart and convinced that the officers are aware not only of the heartbeat but also of his guilt, the narrator breaks down and confesses, telling them to tear up, tear up the floor to reveal the remains of the old man's body. So, we're going to do something a little bit different here. Since we are so late in the show, uh, first, Robert, you are going to tell me not what you learned today, but what you learned about how to smother a man in his bed because of his evil eye. Well, I learned that you have to wake him up first by shining the light in his face. You just can't creep up on him while he's sleeping and let him go quietly. Mm -hmm. You got to be like, ah, wait, make sure he's up first before you kill him so he knows it's coming. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Otherwise, <laughs> it won't work because the evil eye will call out and use its rape whistle and mace. Okay, Chris, your it's, turn. It's also. Oh, wait. No. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Yes. It's also, you have to live with yourself afterwards. You just mm -hmm. can't. You know, it's like the heart beating again. It's, it's his little conscience inside of him saying, you know, you killed that dude. He's sitting right mm -hmm. there. Or mm -hmm. he was crazy. And that was um, nah. an audio hallucination. Nah, we totally Could proved be. he but wasn't But he wasn't crazy. crazy. He crept in there seven nights in a row. I know. And, yeah. I, and never a saner man have I heard explanation of his nightly uh, routine. But... I'm just saying that maybe. Okay, Chris. <laughs> yes, sir. Mm -mm -mm. Same question? Yeah, same question. Oh, oh, okay. Well, um, hmm. I think, honestly, I think this is, this is one of my all-time favorite Poe stories. Uh, you, I, mm, for our listeners out there, the floorboard thing, yeah, that that's I don't know that that ever works. I, I really don't. Like well, no, if you don't do something stick, Exactly. Exactly. Like if you're going to be if you're going to premeditate the shit and think it through, man. Like this whole sitting and and not disappearing when the old man woke up, like that right there. I mean, I get it. You you want him to know it's coming. I I get that. But but I don't His think scream and, is what alerted the neighbor. And, and I don't know 
if he, in 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 all sincerity, wanted to murder the old man, because uh, he says you know he loves him, and it's it's posited by many people that um, the old man uh, was either like his um, his landlord or possibly his father or uh you know older roommate or uh maybe his uncle john that likes to wrestle way too much but mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know he has some kind of uh he has some kind of connection to to the old man first of all second of all he he says that he has no uh he has no problem with the old man at all like he flat out says that I don't fucking like his fucking vulture eye. That's it. That's See, it. That's, that's it. why it sounds like a woman to me. I love you, but I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to make sure you're awake when I kill you, too. Not just going to get your ass in your sleep. But the narrator mm-hmm. accidentally wakes the old man and then's like, oh, I'm, I'm hearing the heart go crazy from fucking his terror that somebody's in his room while he's asleep. Now's the time. And then takes the, the opportunity. So I don't think... She was like, "Oh, I'm, I'm, I need to wake him up to kill him." He and or she was simply trying to shine a sliver of light into his vulture eye. That's it. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. It That's was. Why you always sh- put your dishes in the dishwasher. Don't leave them on the sink. Mm-hmm. In the dishwasher, okay? It was the straw that uh, smothered the old man with the vulture eye. That works, right, guys? Sure. Okay. So, um, and this is what I've learned from the house and fall and telltale and this and that and these, those, these and those. And holy shit, Chris is calling me. Hold on. We lost Chris. Hold on. Hold on, Chris. I'm coming. (laughs) Hey, buddy. What the hell, man? Dude, I don't know. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. But you didn't—you yeah. literally did not miss anything. I was like, oh, who's calling me right now? I, I'm almost done with the show. I'll call him right back. And I looked, and it said, Chris, buddy, pod, podcast, buddy. Like, holy shit. Okay. Well, because I was saying what I learned, which um, from all of his short stories and all of his poem, poetry and all of his essays and all of his um, real life, uh, you know, a thingamabob and rolls and um, he was a he was a complicated man he I think he knew what he wanted in life but I don't think he knew exactly the steps to take to get it and mm-hmm. when he thought he had that part figured out he um, he quickly found that I don't. I don't think he thought he was uh, prepared uh, for that kind of work, and then just kind of farted around. I think he could have been so, so, so much more, so much more than he was, especially if he hadn't been, uh, you know, an alcoholic, hydrocephalic, that um, just drunk himself. Waterhead baby. Yeah. I, I, if he hadn't died at forty, I mean, the, I mean, we can say this literally about every single artist that's ever died early. But um, I think that rest in peace, too big, uh, Tupac and Biggie. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm, except that mm-hmm. both of them are still alive, of course. You big stupid Robert. Um, Living with Elvis. 
No, man. Why would they live with Elvis? Elvis is an old, gross, fat, white guy. <laughs> That's true. There is still some tension. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, rest in peace, um, everybody. Um, hey, guys, I have one more thing to, to, to uh, relegate you with, um, to regale you with, even, is um, uh -huh. you guys just took part in, and you listening have just heard another riveting episode of See No, Hear No, Speak No. Well, color me regaled. Uh, um, yeah, you know what? The, the UFOs, I mean, I kind of worked them in conspiracies i think we had a little bit of that and i will say we definitely had some murders but i will say that i think that last one is bullshit <clears throat> you can't fucking tell me here's the thing you can't fucking tell me that you didn't want to kill the guy or you had no plans to kill the fucking guy if you being busted being a fucking creeper is what you saw as your opportunity quote unquote opportunity to pounce. Now, what else did you think was going to happen when you pounced if you're if you considered that an opportunity? Listen, I love me some fucking ninjas and I wind up accidentally sneaking up on people all the fucking time and I can tell you I have never once Never once has it ever crossed my head, other than in a joke, like, hey, I could have just killed you right now, uh, as that being an opportunity. <laughs> well, you like, know, it, it, I'm just saying, there's a certain mindset that I, I call things. bullshit. Paranoid schizophrenia does crazy things to people. So. Yeah, no pun intended. And murder. And, and Robert. And murders. <laughs> Robert. That's right. Good night, everybody. I hope you ladies enjoyed the countdown. sausage fest. Good night. It's time for the countdown. <laughs> time for the countdown. Here comes the countdown. Three, two, one. Boom. Beep. Later, kids. Bye. Good night. Ho, diddy, ho, diddy. <laughs>